0: By the way, one of the best pictures, I don't know if you've seen this, Gabe. Do you, have you seen the picture of, of George Bush sleigh riding with Arnold Schwarzenegger?
1: No, that sounds like an amazing flashback to 1988. Yeah, 89. it's really
0: good. It's, it's an amazing photo. Um, they both have like red faces. I remember the Willie Horton ads. Do you remember as a kid seeing them?
2: Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man, and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes, Dukakis on crime.
0: I don't remember the Willie Horton ads, but I really remember being into Dukakis and really liking him.
3: Yeah, I
1: mean, I my parents liked him, yeah. so it's kind of like when you're, like, little and people like the Yankees in your family, and then you wear a Yankees hat. Right. It really didn't matter to me, though.
0: Yeah. you. I didn't.
1: mean, really, a class president mattered more than right. a national president. Or whoever the crossing guard was, right? Yeah, whatever that future pig, that guy who's yeah. trying to make me not jaywalk to right. get home.
0: They shaped your life a lot more. Yeah, yeah. that
1: guy's much more influential than right. uh, whoever's running for president right. when you're it's, two or three years old.
0: It's funny you say pig because actually when, cops. Right? No, cops. I know, but one of my I always hate, I always dislike not that, all of them, but crossing term. guards. Well, the reason I I don't like that term is because <laughs> I like pigs. But it's funny you say that because my two areas of activism when I was in fourth grade, yeah, were um, campaigning for Dukakis okay, and um, legalizing, trying to legalize the adoption of Vietnamese pot-belly pigs.
1: That's my favorite type of pig.
0: Yeah, so it all comes full circle, and uh, I I failed in both, but yeah. you know you lose you lose a bunch of times before you win, so I stuck with it. Yeah, my parents, I remember they voted for they flipped a coin in the primary. Uh-huh. So one would vote for Jesse Jackson, who they liked more, and more. would vote for. Yep, Rainbow Coalition. And one voted for Dukakis. Sure. The, the jlobiest of non-Jews. hmm Honorary Jew. Who knew a Greek could look so Jewish?
1: I mean, Greek, you know, they're all yeah, Mediterranean, Mediterranean peoples. Yeah,
0: true, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, it's interesting, speaking of the death penalty, he, of course, famously was said that he was against the death penalty, and then people thought they had a gotcha because it was like, what if it was your wife? What if it was your re- relative? Yeah. Which is like, First of all, there are people who are relatives of people who are killed who are very against the death penalty. Sure. And second of all, I'm not sure if that's the person who should be judging it. What
1: if Jesus? What if Mary Magdalene was the the victim of a crime? Would he then be pro the death penalty? Yeah. Pro crucifying no, other people? Don't think
0: so. Actually, I know for a fact.
1: Turn turn the other cheek. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we actually interviewed my mom. No, your mama jokes, please, listeners. But we did. We interviewed Nora Eisenberg. Don't be fooled by that last name. She kept her last name, sometimes.
1: Yeah, who um, knew that she was uh, an expert?
0: Oh, yeah. So, I know. it was funny, right? So, guys, let's have a moment of silence for the death of George Herbert Walker Bush. He died uh, very old because, as we all know, only the good die young. And uh, dictators and human rights violators die really old, which is more proof that God doesn't exist. In my mind, in yeah. my mind. Um, so, I mean,
1: they, they don't look good. They just live a long time. To be
0: fair, sure.
1: There, You know, there's that sort of ghoulish last 45 years of a wealthy <laughs> person's life where they look terrible, but um, but they're, the insides, are the good. internal organs. Right. yeah,
0: those are fresh.
1: Absolutely.
0: Right. Yeah, he lived a very long life, 94. He was our president, of course, only one term.
1: But before that, he was in the CIA. Yeah, he was only in the CIA for a year, but um, but he was there. And I don't think anybody climbs to to be the head of that agency without some uh, sort of nefarious machinations. Right.
0: Lots of blood on his hands.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, And he definitely continued to oversee what was going on in Chile and the dirty wars in Latin America while he was uh, the head of the CIA. I mean, the CIA also, when you look at the roots, comes from the OSS and the Dulles brothers and sort of this whole shadowy um, wing of the American government that's purpose is less to create freedom around the world and or even to protect us from war and more to further our grossest um, imperial right. business interests.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so it's good that he lived to 94. That's really <laughs> fair. JFK, who wasn't perfect, not perfect when it comes to imperialism either, but he gets shot in the head. Yeah. brains are blown out. And George H. W. George Herbert Walker Bush gets to live till ninety four. Pinochet lives a long life. I don't know why I'm saying this. Like I believe that we can change it, but maybe we can.
1: Sure. I well, mean, Rupert Murdoch's still alive. Yeah,
0: you're right. Got we got to take care of that. Yeah. Just kidding. Don't, just kidding. Anyway, so I there's, don't know how
1: the Koch brothers are.
0: Yeah, they're not that old. But there is a kind. There's been a kind of orgy of whitewashing and an adulation towards George Herbert Walker Bush.
3: To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. (laughs) And by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us.
0: It reminds me of what um, Norman Finkelstein said this about Thomas Friedman's coverage of Mohammed bin Salman, MBS of uh, Saudi Arabia. He called it a protracted blowjob. He said that on Democracy Now. All it was, (laughs) Uh, was a very expensive. You'd be oh, it careful!
3: Was a, no cursing on this. Sure. No,
0: it's not cursing, but it was a, a protract, It was a,
4: a verbal blowjob, uh, probably the most expensive one in world history, uh, that was administered to Mohammed bin Salman.
0: Some people have gone after him appropriately, like Arun Gupta, um, Stephen Thrasher, Mehdi Hassan. And we wanted our own. We wanted to contribute to the um, smearing, not smearing because smearing implies it's not accurate. Well, I
1: think we can shine light on on who these people uh, are and were. And, you know, even outside of what they did during the presidency, but what the entire Bush family stands for, going back to his father, Prescott Bush, who worked for the law firm uh, Cromwell and Sullivan and that these guys are uh couldn't be
0: waspier
1: yeah they couldn't be waspier but one of the main things that they loved doing was uh was laundering nazi money
3: Wow.
1: so you know i mean because there for a while uh during world war ii uh, we were on the fence as to what side we wanted to back whether it was going to be the british and the, the allies or the axis because the united states had a lot of interest in germany and not to say that they were nazis but that just you know international capital has uh investments everywhere and um the uh the oss the the precursors to the cia they had a vested interest in getting a lot of the uh, german industrialist money out of the country uh before, before berlin fell to the russians right so uh that you know prescott's part of that
0: wow i wish they had talked about that at the funeral So I wanted to contribute, I wanted the Katie Halper Show to contribute to the, um, correcting the record of George Herbert Walker Bush, because he does have so much blood on his hands, and it's really not fair that it doesn't get recognized. And so I decided I would invite someone on, and that someone, that special someone, is none other than Nora Eisenberg. Who happens to be my mother she's an award-winning novelist whose short fiction reviews articles and essays have appeared in such places as the la times the village voice the partisan review the nation the guardian tycoon alternate and others she holds a phd in english and comparative literature and has taught literature and writing at stanford university georgetown university and for many years at the city university of new york where she co-founded and for two decades directed the university's faculty publication program, a diversity mentoring program for junior faculty. She is currently working on her fourth novel set in New York City in the 1980s that chronicles the early campaigns in the war against the poor and middle class. Pretty impressive, right, my mom?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I like to see someone who's who's gone to a, gotten a little schooling.
0: Yeah, yeah, she and uh, is that bragging? If I brag about my mom, it's not me. Can I do that? Is that like, it's kind of like when you say how cute you were as a little kid.
1: No, I mean, I think the more you big up your parents, the more you've got big shoes to fill.
0: Oh, so it's kind of self-destructive.
1: I mean, you know.
0: We could look at (laughs) that. Gabe always has that, like, the opposite of silver lining. (laughs) What's the opposite of silver? Yeah.
1: Oh, you've got a lot to live up to there, Katie. Yeah.
0: You may want to, you may want to quiet down. Um, She went to Columbia and she wrote her, by the way, the university. And she wrote her thesis on Virginia Woolf yeah yeah i just wanted to shed some more light on my Uh, mom
1: a room of one's own yeah virginia wolf
0: yep that's true and she her books she has a book called the war at home which is fictionalized memoirs about growing up in the bronx and she has a book called when you come home which deals with gulf war syndrome and she did a lot of research into that and so uh we interviewed her and by the way keep an eye out for the great i think it's a very cute rapport between my mom and gabe all
1: right oh thanks i'm blushing
0: Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can find the Katie Helper Show on iTunes where you can rate and review us. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And we always emphasize how when you do that, you can access bonus episodes, which are great. In fact, there's a bonus episode related to this week's recording. This week's episode, which is my mom reading from a short story she wrote at One Grand Books, which is a very cool bookstore. I have a great bonus episode that you can access now with Glenn Greenwald, which talks about how awkward it is to be formerly friends with people who you really disagree with now over politics and who are in the media and how you're supposed to write about that. And the dangers of being friends with people in the media when you cover the media, but also just wanna give you the opportunity to become Patreon members if you just like the show. And in order to support the show and the work that we do, and we bring you more well-known people, and then we try to also elevate voices of people you may not have heard of. So we don't make any money off of this show except for what we make off of Patreon, which is why we encourage you to donate and support us and if you care about these alternative voices and you care about you know i think we're, we're one of the only shows that consistently pushes back on the bernie bro narrative um we had the a bernie bro uh, we had a bernie made me white show a few years ago and that actually was the first time leslie lee was on a podcast and leslie lee of course now is the host of the very successful show struggle session the co-host so that's another reason you can support the Katie Alper show. It's to support us elevating voices. It's so affordable. It's a. It's like you're sitting with me, not in person, buying me a drink. You're buying me and Gabe a drink. We meet up once a month. You buy us a drink, you, and we split a drink. You spend five dollars on a drink, but. If you can't buy us a $5 drink, then let's say you cover the tip for the bartender and you you just give a dollar tip for the bartender, which I'm sure you would do, and so you just can donate $1 a month. And we're going to start doing a Discord chat. So that means that if you pay to support the show, we will chat with you. Another relevant bonus episode to listen to is the one we posted last week, which is with David Parsons, the host of Nostalgia Trap. And at the end of that episode, I post some really great audio of an interview I did with Dennis Mora, who was part of the Fort Hood Three, the first three men to go to jail for refusing to serve in Vietnam. They went to jail for three years. I have a chat with Dennis Mora, who's a good friend of the family and a good friend of my mom's and my late uncle. It relates to this because of course, The Vietnam War, like Gulf War, were bad wars. And as you'll see in the interview, George H.W. Bush used the Iraq War, the first Iraq War, to allegedly end Vietnam syndrome once and for all. So the Gulf War was supposed to be the war to uh, redeem America's military honor and pride. So uh, given the death of the kinder, gentler Bush, I wanted to have someone on who could talk about some of his less... um, well, you know, some of the darker aspects of him. And I thought to myself, hey, why not Nora Eisenberg? Because she's written a lot about Gulf War Syndrome, a lot about the first Gulf War. And she has a book called When You Come Home, a novel, which is about Gulf War Syndrome in part. So, Mom, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us what, what people are not knowing, not, are not talking about about Bush.
4: Yeah. So, I mean... Nobody likes to speak ill of the dead, I guess. Well, um, we do here on we the panel. We account. do. We're all we, about grave dancing yes, here. We close the door tight. the The stuff that's come out about him is is uniformly in the mainstream media and ma- among mainstream politicians, positive, not only as a, what, a father, a grandfather, a great grandfather, a colleague who doesn't. Uh, Denounce you and curse in your face and right. you know, like the, like the president now. So, he, you know everybody looks good, but there's also the political habit of manufactured consent of of the media and political leaders. Uh, so, what we had really though with Bush was a very sinister leader. You know he wore gray suits and he didn't color his face or his hair, but he he did some really treacherous things, um, as people have been pointing out, like Mehdi Hassan and Anthony DiMaggio, in in the independent media, like Intercept right. and, and Counterpunch, there's another side to him. His ads that, that really helped win him the election against uh, Michael Dukakis were amazingly racist. So there's Willie Horton, there's the overkill or unnecessary <laughs> kill or the invasion of Panama to bring home Noriega, who was a good friend.
0: Before he wasn't. Before
4: he wasn't. And uh, what else? Irangate. And he pardoned all of the, I mean, in terms of, and I think this is something that Mehdi Hassan uh, mentioned in his Intercept article, uh, that he pardoned all of the Weinberger and others who were being investigated for Irangate, the Iran-Contra affair. And uh, so he really obstructed justice. But anyway, but I, what I wanted to talk t- about mostly is his involvement in the 91 Gulf War. It was almost 29 years since. And in that period, the, the dominant story is that it, it was the, the best American war. And it, it, it uh, corrected, the worst American war, Vietnam. So uh, he, he said, specifically, we kicked Vietnam syndrome once and for all, and brought glory to, to America. We, you know, we didn't inhibit our troops by having them feel ashamed, which, according to that story, the protesters had inflicted on the troops, so they had no will. And they were sloppy and demoralized, and we had, and we restored national pride and will. So no more Vietnam Syndrome. Of course, it gave us <laughs> the war gave us Gulf War Syndrome, but that we'll get to later. So it's been it's been hailed as as the best war, uh, and since World War II, no ever because it was fought in forty three oh, days, forty three days,
0: 43 yeah, forty
4: three days. We lost one hundred and forty eight troops a third by friendly fire Whoa. and we were in and out and that's the story it doesn't really go beyond that yeah. so I mean now with the War of the Sun Bush 43 it's even risen in in stature Bush 41's war because we're seeing it as we're being told it's uh the good Gulf War
0: because right. we lost so many fewer people killed so many fewer people right yes right
4: What's less known, I mean, at the time of the war, there was some excellent reporting. James Ridgway in The Village Voice did a great series on how there was a sudden push to war. It had been a very unpopular war. You kids may remember in the summertime, because Katie, I think we went to a, a big rally in Central Park. People were really opposed to the war. And I mean, they never heard of Kuwait, <laughs> right? Well, how
1: long had Kuwait been a country? Uh, you know, n- not is it full... like a real country. Or well, there's kind of... yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, there's that argument that it was an imperial creation, right? Um,
1: yeah, like after World War II, didn't the British just chop up the Middle East and right, say, right. "Now this is a country"? Right. And Kuwait's only the um,
4: Britishification.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's basically just uh, access to the to the Gulf.
4: So yeah, and what happened after? After the Iran-Iraq was an eight-year war, Saddam's position was that he he was bankrupt, and uh, that the Kuwaitis were siphoning off oil, and uh, that they had benefited from his. The whole um, region had benefited from his controlling the Iranians, the you know the fundamentalist Iranians and fundamentalism in the region. But uh, anyway, back to the selling of the war. I mean, that's important in terms of, of Kuwait and what it was and the manufacturing of of a story. You know, the invasion was not sweet, I'm sure. You know, Right. They, but as we can talk about, by all indications, we gave Saddam a green light to go in through our State Department, through the Undersecretary of State, April Glaspie. And... You know, I think what happened probably is that Bush was vacillating between a more, an older, more thoughtful State Department and a, and a really agitated Department of Defense under Dick Cheney, and that the, the neocons, neocons won. I mean, he might later, of course, call them the crazies sometimes, but, you know, they, they basically, they and Margaret Thatcher, called the shots. So what we know now is that the war had been in the planning for years, just like the 2003 Gulf War. And not that all parts of the government were in agreement on it, but there was, um, in October, 1990, Colin Powell referred to a new military plan for Iraq developed the year before, right at the end of the Iran-Iraq war. So we supported them to do our job there, even though we undermined it by supporting Iran as well, our job and the containment of fundamentalism. And Schwarzkopf in 1990, early 1990, so that's almost, that's a year before the 91 Gulf War, told the Senate Armed Services Committee about a new military strategy in the Gulf um, to control US access to, to oil. And it was boldly stated like that. It was a very unpopular war, uh, as we said, and uh, in the course of a few months, it became a popular war by totally manufactured narrative. So what we know, and this has been written about pretty widely, not by the mainstream press, but by uh, less by the mainstream press and more by independent journalists. So we know that it was, there was a lot of planning uh, about some sort of Iraq military intervention a year before the war. And we know that April Glaspie gave Saddam Hussein a, a green light. Set him up. He, yeah. Now, whether Bush was directly in on that, whether Baker was sneaking around, you know, we don't really know that yet. Um, but we we do know that she said, yes, certain circles in the US government are antagonistic to you, but you can be assured, and I've communicated with S- uh, Secretary Baker, uh, that we extend friendship and we will be non-confrontational and it is our policy to view such actions um, as Arab to Arab and not in, not in the purview of the US. So." So that, that's what happened. Uh, and then uh, he, he invades in the summer. And still, they're saying, well, we don't know. You know it's, we have no plans. And I think what happens is that you know, there are wings of government. You know, there are tendencies. There's, and we were seeing the rise of the neocons at that time. So they entered on August 2nd. So he had no reason to believe there'd be retaliation. Um, So we're not sure exactly where Bush was in this, but what we know is that once he invaded and it got discussed, there was a will to war. That's the camp that won out. And Bush came out of that in early August really uh, focused. But again, we had a very unpopular. There was not great support for it.
1: So you brought up, there's something interesting for me, and I don't know if you can answer this, but... uh... George Bush is at the top of the pyramid, the hierarchy of people. All information flows up to him, supposedly, because he's the commander-in-chief. But then we have uh, State Department people who are flying to Iraq and meeting with uh, foreign leaders and possibly not informing him.
4: No, no. I mean, but they have said that Glaspy was just uh she was a very seasoned diplomat but they said he said that she bungled Mm -hmm. and
1: uh did she have to fall on her sword
4: yes yes i i don't remember where she ended up but it wasn't in a good place guam yeah and i mean and she reported that i've spoken to baker and he says it's it's an error Arab affair. Meaning that the U.S. would not intervene, right? Exactly. Um, anyway, over the course of the summer, the administration spent over 11 million dollars to pay for a PR campaign by the lobbying PR group uh, Hill and Knowlton. Now, the, the, this is interesting. The Washington office of Hill and Knowlton was headed by Craig Fuller. Who was a close friend of of Bush forty one and his chief of staff when he was vice president. So he was in charge of this almost twelve million dollar campaign. So they did all this AstroTurf stuff, you know, rallies all over the place, videos, news anyway. Like Wag the Dog. Exactly.
1: And what celebrity endorsements did they get?
4: (laughs) Yeah. That's a yeah, Yeah. was
1: Bo Jackson like Bo knows the Iraq war.
4: So there's a book called that was a, a documentary. I'm sorry by this uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation called to sell a war, and um, it talks about how the research arm arm of Hill and Knowlton kind of uh, worked this out, and they 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 did these um, I guess focus groups and tested various descriptions and narratives for Saddam Hussein. And they have him saying, one of the uh, researchers saying, Saddam Hussein was a madman who had committed atrocities, even against his own people, and had tremendous power to do further damage.
3: Saddam Hussein systematically raped, pillaged, and plundered a tiny nation. No threat to his own. Saddam sought to add to the chemical weapons arsenal he now possesses, an infinitely more dangerous weapon of mass destruction, a nuclear weapon. That was the decided narrative. Our goal is not the conquest of Iraq. It is the liberation of Kuwait. The oil thing receded as a stated reason,
4: and they used the human rights issue, as,
3: as various administrations often do. The terrible crimes and tortures committed by Saddam's henchmen against the innocent people of Kuwait are an affront to mankind and a challenge to the freedom of all.
4: Um, the most, and
3: you probably know about this, the most amazing concoction
4: by this Hill and Knowlton group was um, the creation of a, a bogus committee, called the, the House Human Rights Caucus. It had no, it had no legitimate authority, but they wanted it to pass as a congressional committee. It was really a s- simulation. Um, there was a young woman. Naira, she said she'd seen, we know this script already, the Iraqi soldiers came into the hospital with guns and go into the room where babies were in incubators. They took the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators and left the babies on the cold floor to die. She said she was um, traumatized because she had been a volunteer in a, in a uh, maternity wing or hospital and she wept before the caucus and she was still shaken by the atrocity uh, she witnessed at Kuwait City Hospital
2: Mr. Chairman and members of the committee my name is Nayira, and I just came out of Kuwait what I saw happen to the children of Kuwait and to my country has changed my life forever it has changed the life of all Kuwaitis young and old we are children no more My sister, with my five-day-old nephew, traveled across the desert to safety. There was no milk available for the baby in Kuwait. They barely escaped when their car was stuck in the desert, desert sand, and help came from Saudi Arabia. I stayed behind and wanted to do something for my country. The second week after an invasion, I volunteered volunteered at the Al-Adan Hospital with 12 other women who wanted to help as well. I was the youngest volunteer. The other women were from 20 to 30 years old. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers coming to the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators, and left the children to die on the cold floor. So we
4: know that she was a Kuwaiti royal, her father was the ambassador, Kuwaiti ambassador to the US, and she'd never volunteered at any hospital. This was just a creation of the of the She's ER brown, firm.
1: she's Arab, the right. American population won't yeah. know the difference.
4: Bush repeats this in yeah. you know, in in when he's
3: explaining the war. He subjected the people of Kuwait to unspeakable atrocities. And among those maimed and murdered. Innocent children.
1: Yeah, killing like, babies always makes people upset. Yeah. And, uh, but this also was in World War I, what they were talking about with the Germans when they called them the Huns, like bayonetting little like babies and stuff. Right. Belgium or wherever. Right. First ended up.
4: Right, yeah. Then to sell the war, there was the satellite images of Iraqis moving towards uh, Saudi Arabia, which, of course, we knew what we needed for for oil. So the St. Petersburg Times hired independent satellites, and there, nothing showed up. So that's that's another thing. It went on and on, the deceptions that that uh, sold the war to the, to the American people, but it was a complete, it was really a fabrication, the human rights stuff. And they stated that in the resolution that they brought to Congress, by the way, Bush said he would have prosecuted the war even if the Resolution hadn't passed, but it was very limited. it was to um, eject the Iraqis from from Kuwait very quickly and you probably remember this from the you know the CNN coverage that very quickly it became you know to destroy Iraq because there were a lot of civilian targets the entire infrastructure was was devastated from water systems, purification systems bridges. Office buildings, highways, roads, um, and the estimates of civilian death in that war range from 25,000 to 100,000. Half of them, of course, children in immediate casualties, the casualties in, in after the war. Were-
1: these were like civilian casualties?
4: Yes, yes. So
1: uh, even if Saddam had been uh, killing his own people or killing other people, uh, these th- this was a massive collateral damage.
4: Yeah. To yeah. depose
1: him. To right. not even depose him. Right. But
4: just. Now interestingly, the the legislation um to uh, to prosecute the ninety-one Persian Gulf War was uh it never ended legally. And people in the State Department since then have used it strategically to uh, justify, legally, the approval to bomb or or continue the aggression in the area. Oh,
1: so, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like how we never ended the war with North Korea? Yeah.
4: Yes, exactly. And this is really, it's not ended. It's just probably the longest American war. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing was that, you know, we one of the reasons we don't know that much about it besides the complicity of the self-serving of, of politicians and the complicity of the media is at the time, there was a tremendous um, censorship and probably habit of self-censorship to be in in the good graces of the administration. So we really had to rely on some good souls in the good journalists like in CNN and also uh, people like Seymour Hirsch. Another thing that we don't know about is that the creation of Al Qaeda in the region, Osama bin Laden's Al Qaeda, can really be linked to the Gulf War. Because what we did was bring our troops into the country that had the most holy of Islamic sites. I mean it was Mecca.
1: So so we were stationing our troops. We stationed oh, I'm sorry, yeah,
4: I thought I said that. Yeah, we were stationing our troops. We used that satellite as a, as a reason, but really we went in and we established we established bases in Saudi Arabia that were there for decades. so in reaction to that, I mean even in the beginning, the Saudis were reluctant to let us in because because of the the holy sites. but um, once they let us in, then Osama bin Laden, who was you know a you know, a hero and from one of the elite families, uh, hero of the Afghanistan war, and one of the elite families, uh, he he left the country, exiled and and declared jihad on the U.S. It's really hardly been looked at that it was a very specific fatwa jihad. We we do hear often. It was the duty of every Muslim to kill the Americans and their allies, civilians, and military. That's, that's been quoted widely. But the second part of the sentence we don't hear mm. about, which is, in order to liberate the Aqsa Mosque and the Holy Mosque, which is Mecca, from their grip, and in order for their armies to move out of all the lands of Islam, Defeated and unable to threaten any Muslim, so it was not only the holy sites, but it was also the brutal overkill of of uh, the Iraqi facilities and population that spurred him on. So it's very specific. Sturred Osama bin Laden. Yes, yeah, spurred his Osama bin Laden on. It's really hardly been looked at.
0: Yeah, there's more of a general thing about how we trained him in the Cold War, the Mujah- Mujahideen. But people don't actually make the connection. Although he did, if you read his speech, he makes the connection right. to the Iraq War, right. like right. in right. specifically. But,
4: but it's he, not repeated in the right. media. So we did very very brutal things over there. Besides the infrastructure, I mean, we broke all kinds of international law, military law, civil understanding, <laughs> civility. So that when the uh, there had been a. ceasefire brokered by the UN and the about-to-die Soviet Union. And uh, the Iraqi soldiers had their cannons in reverse. They were retreating from Kuwait on this highway between Basra and Kuwait City. And we just, for a night, just killed them dead. We basically incinerated just about every car on the road. And they included a lot of Palestinian civilians who knew they were about to be slaughtered because they were sympathetic. And they had a very degraded existence in Kuwait as near slaves, and they were sympathetic to Iraq. So they were going to be slaughtered. Uh, so they left Kuwait. Anyway, was, they, so there were there were families and the civilians, they, yeah and civilians and retreating and retreating bedraggled soldiers, and uh, they, they were incinerated. Now I'll,
0: that's called the highway. This of it's Death. is called right? the
4: highway, the highway of death. Yeah.
0: Bombs were dropped on the front and rear of the procession, trapping the rest of
3: the vehicles in between. The headlights all went out. But because of the reflections of the oil fires and, and the, the twilight cast by the, the low clouds, uh, I was able to still see all the vehicles on the road, uh, could see people jumping out of vehicles, could see doors opening, could see vehicles turning off into the sand, uh, as well as those that, that we hit with our bombs.
4: And partly responsible for this, and we don't know how rogue it was, was Barry McCaffrey, who then became Clinton's drug czar. And, uh, you know, if. A featured, much featured face on, on news shows. And you know, nobody, is, right? yes, nobody yeah. talks about him as, as a war criminal. So I want to talk about two or three other things uh, that are often not talked about in relation to this good Gulf War. And one is the poisoning of our own. Now we know that after the 91 war and the ensuing sh- sanctions, that over a million people died. And there was tremendous amounts of, of cancer, ma- uh, babies being born deformed, all kinds of ill health. Um, in every way, it was a, it was a disastrous decade and and beyond, probably. But what's less known is that our own our own came home sick, uh, with something like a lot of they them over there were suffering from. So uh, this is an interesting story because. You know how the Vietnam soldiers had so much trouble being, having their PTSD taken seriously. Um, now these returning troops were suffering with physical ailments from memory loss to ALS to, we think, multiple sclerosis and brain, brain cancers that showed up a little later. Um, and here you had the government saying to them, it's in your head, we'll give you some counseling. So (laughs) they caught up, you know, they caught up to PTSD, but then they applied it to people suffering from obvious physical maladies. Not just
0: psychological.
4: Right. right. So um, that is something that's still going on now. There's been a whitewash of it. There's been a real war between the scientists who were um, assigned by... Congress to, to research Gulf War illness, um, the VA under Shinseki went and, and slashed that committee because it was saying we see a causative relationship between wartime exposures and these real diseases. And we, we point to particular neurotoxins used in particular instances. One was the PB medication, which is, was used for myasthenia uh, gravis, um, but it was done like 20-fold or 10-fold and had never been used that before. So these soldiers became sick almost instantly, many of them. They were court-martialed if they didn't take it. This was to uh, protect them from nerve gas exposure.
1: So, I have a friend who, uh, Tom Sullivan, who was a uh, sergeant in the military. He was in the Marines and he had to take this. Uh, he was inoculated with vaccines for whatever they were right. con- contracting out there. And uh, he had multi system uh, organ yeah. failure and uh, it debilitating. Like it happened rapidly, but he left behind a, a wife and kids. And uh, now there's a fund for him. But uh, that—that's a huge issue. That that's right. So you know really, that firsthand. Yeah. 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 Re- they didn't really do uh, much about that, and they didn't tell his family uh, what the problem was. So no, they're, they're yeah. his brother and his surviving family's advocates for helping get veterans help with uh, Gulf War syndrome. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and now it's made it to its way from being called a syndrome to an actual illness. But the VA. Uh, has been at war as this committee, this research advisory committee, which was established by Congress in 2004. I know I'm going into a lot of detail, so you can just cut it out later. Um, as they became clearer and clearer about the the linkage, um, also to sarin, which we, which we uh, when we bombed a munitions depot, where we knew there was sarin in Chimicia, and the plume went far and wide, uh, you know, all all the way to Saudi Arabia. It's claimed, but so those people, there seems to be linkages to brain cancer. But and then the third thing was the the incredible uh, overkill of overuse of DEET, which
1: um, that's for mosquitoes.
4: Yeah, and yeah. and and sand f- fleas, which they did, you know, wanted to protect the. The troops from
1: huh? Who knew about that sand fleas? Sand fleas. I yeah. always thought the desert was pretty sterile. Like <laughs> you weren't really getting
0: contracted. Well, bed anyway, I mean, again, it's probably
4: the same friends in the petroleum and and, and you know pharmaceutical industry that are you know selling the same products. That's great. I'm sure the
0: soldiers would prefer to have brain cancer than sand fleas and mosquitoes. Yeah. yeah right. Because those bites
4: are really annoying. Right. So anyway, this is something its a real p- horrible situation for the veterans. They've been knocked around for almost three decades now. The VA has demolished this prestigious committee it put together because it came out with some very, very clear findings and recommendations. Um, and so now it has a new form, but its it's sort of mushing everything that was said before and found before one other thing or two other things i want to talk about are the mass murders or vile murders really notorious murders that occurred after the gulf war by gulf war veterans you know john Muhammad, the beltway sniper
1: yeah when he was out there operating uh, in the beltway my sister was in soccer practice at a school <sighs> in uh, maryland and uh they had to they had to cancel a lot of the uh, practices. It was a big deal, especially for you know parents picking up their kids at like around three o'clock in that area. It was
4: right, it caused right, massive right, right terror. Right. Yeah, well, he ended up murdering ten people and injuring a bunch of others. He had this kid at his side, Malvo, Malvo, John Malvo, yeah, and Malvo. I and mean, he had kidnapped him, and it's strange that that was never taken into account. Very
1: Patty Hearst, but yes, uh, you don't. But a white woman but, uh, who's wealthy yeah. can uh, can claim brainwashing, yeah, and a black kid is is he, is, is on his own. Yeah,
4: but the thing about John Muhammad is that he. Uh, by all accounts went to went to Iraq a really nice guy and came back insane. His wife uh, wrote a book for Simon & Schuster, I think. Her name is Muriel or something. Uh, and Mildred. Mildred Mohammed wrote a book called uh, Scared Silent uh, about about what happened to him when he came back from the war. And he, the, the sniper stuff was all somehow involved with threatening her to, right. yeah, he was going to see. The theory is that she was he, gonna could, see.
1: he could, he could cover up murdering her yeah. if he had created yeah. a spectacle where people thought it was terrorism. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so she was going to be his final victim. Yes, in that's, that, right. In that that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, lo- I love true crime. Can't get enough.
4: His mental illness never came up in the trial. Uh, And this is so sad, till the end, he maintained his innocence, uh, claiming at the time that at the time of the killing spree, he was in Germany for dental work. He he had become schizophrenic.
1: I travel when I want surgery, too, though. (laughs) So I get it.
4: Right. He's just a single payer advocate. Yeah. Right. His his lawyers uh, did not mention that he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. That there were brain scans documenting profound malformations consistent with psychotic disease. Um, and Tim Kaine said, "Crimes are that are this horrible. You just can't understand. It's you know they can't understand." Theory. Meaning,
0: like, it can't be mental illness, like, don't bother trying to understand yes, it, even yes. though he's an anti death penalty guy, Tim. Yeah,
4: Green. yeah, was, I, was he then too.
0: I think he has been for a while, but I wonder if he was saying that in a sympathetic way or not.
4: No, no, not at all, not at all, because the state of Virginia, it was It was because he was the governor of Virginia, and right. There was some, and he has said it, that, that was one of the areas, the death yeah, penalty,
0: he has to carry it out. But that, is, that has always been one of the stupidest arguments yeah. I've ever heard, which is, like, the more severe and crazy the crime. It's a similar thing with kids. When kids commit an adult crime, like, you're supposed to try them as adults, but it's really, like, that's pretty much a sign that they're really messed up.
4: Yeah, They so anyway, uh, they, 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 they agreed, the lawyers, that he was psychotic, but they didn't link it to Gulf War, his Gulf War experience, and... Um, and that he was he was stationed in Chimesia, which is where the Sarin explosions were. And that's what the brain cancer seems to have derived from, and his his deformed brain into schizophrenia. So uh, let me talk about another Gulf War veteran, Lewis Jones. He was executed, of course so was Muhammad, and the Malvo was serving a life like Ten life sentences. Also, um, Timothy McVeigh wasn't. Yeah, I want story. to talk about Timothy McVeigh, but this is another situation where somebody just killed a nice guy. Just killed, I, th- I think, another an, a young female soldier, and uh, raped and murdered her. And scans showed immense brain damage. And um, uh, and again, he was he was executed. He was also in Camisia where the sarin was. And um, I, I also want to talk about Timothy McVeigh. You know, you're not allowed to talk to him because some crimes are so heinous that they, they can't be spoken of, and it, you know, as, as if they were done by humans when we know these aren't humans. But McVeigh, uh, I don't know. There are no scans of his brain. But again, by all accounts, he, he went to war idealistic. He didn't like the the uh, big bullies trying to scare little Kuwait. Um, and then when he was there, his he, he was shocked by what he saw. He said that he saw the highway of death. He saw the highway of death. And where we corralled and massacred in one night, February 26, 1991. And uh, in his famous 60 Minutes. Interview with uh, Ed Bradley, he said that changed him. He found himself thinking, I'm in this person's country, what right did I have to come over to his country and kill him? How did he ever transgress against me? He went overthinking with with uh, Bradley, not only is Saddam evil, all Iraqis evil, that's what he thought, but quickly it was an entirely different ball game. Face to face you realize they're just people like you. He told Bradley the government modeled brutal violence. In a 1998 prison essay, he objected to the United States continuing campaign against Iraq. It was the U.S. that had set the standard, he said, for stockpile and use of weapons of mass destruction. So on the highway of death, they used uh, you know, 500-ton bombs of napalm and, and depleted uranium and he said when he came back something didn't feel right in me but i couldn't say what it was we don't know he could have been it could have been chemical exposure it could have just been the trauma which we now know from neuroscientists actually deforms the brain too you can see PTSD severe PTSD on a scan so what i want to say too is that so that we have to look at this the the violence after we have to look at the sickness after we have to look at the the uh sickness over there the degradation of a whole country and soon region and um and the relation of bush 41's war and and the wars that that followed um and as i said legally it laid the foundation in terms of the o- overkill it it set the standard to quote Timothy McVeigh, we know that international law now will not view the actions of individuals in war as a crime, the international courts, but the leaders. Now, he's not around anymore to to be tried by any international court, if it ever could be. If we could ever find one to to try him. But there's such a developing mass of information about his uh, ignoble, illegal, and brutal uh, policies in prosecution of the war, um, that I think that history is going to have to judge him. But he's so polite. He's so polite, yeah.
1: You know? Relative to these bombastic guys in charge now.
4: Well, I mean, he's... Yeah, Trump has... Trump has given everyone every imperialist every warmonger every liar a good look.
1: He's what well, the thing yeah. is is Trump has the lowest body count so far. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good point. So yeah. far.
0: Yeah.
4: I'm not a fan. I mean no no no, but... no, no, no. how could you be?
0: Also, um Trump it's ironically, you know, on this John Schwartz interview that I did, I played Trump discussing Bush and he actually called Bush a liar. When This is when he was running, and he said, the, the guy interviewing was like, well, a liar? Don't you want to just say, don't you mean he was just, like, mistaken? He goes, well, you know, I mean, if he could have gone it wrong, but if you're lying because you want to settle a score because of your dad, like, he brought up the George Bush one thing and how that influenced George Bush two in the Iraq war.
4: Yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's one theory, yeah.
0: You don't, do you think that, that I, had anything to do with it? I don't or know. What do you think motivated?
4: Uh, oh. The neocons, I mean, they, they claimed the father, and they, they claimed the son. They would, they you know, just out to, to do their thing, to become...
1: I'm shedding some tears that there were criminals that we ha- don't have the opportunity to prosecute, but you brought up the neocons. We've still got uh, Wolfowitz. Yeah. We've got Pearl. Bremer. We've got, uh, who else? Pearl? Sure, Pearl let's
0: Pearl? throw a yeah. Pearlman in there. Let's p- throw in a Pearl, Yitzhak Pearlman or whatever, But and then there's Cheney. Um, Paul Brammer, as you said, who else is there? Anyway, a lot of bad guys are still
4: yeah. bumping around.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, right. So, what about Henry Kissinger? He's like, is he? He's, is he considered a neocon? He's real politique, but he's another guy who gets praised. <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, we could do a, You could do another whole show on him. Yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, there's. It's it's amazing. So he, you know, he's being hailed now as as you know the uber civil gentleman. And uh, and with humane policies, and nothing could be less true. The thing that really sticks with me is the the, the murders here and the mass murders here, um, like John Muhammad, and also the uh, illness of of American troops. You know, which is you know they what happened to that Obama pastor who said chickens come home to roost. Jeremiah Wright. They, Jeremiah Wright. They really they really did in in the body of these troops.
0: He was referring to 9-11, but yeah, it applies to this he also. Right? Yeah,
4: it applies to this also. They also, I mean, there's indication, um, and Life Magazine did a big spread on this, that there are serious birth defects in the children of Gulf veterans, and they link that particularly to depleted uranium. The scientific committee I referred to before is up in the air about, Completed radium. They don't say it h- hasn't had an effect. They just haven't studied it enough. Um, but uh, yeah, so you have that, and people s- and people said, "Well, how can that be?" The everything was drenched in oil. They brought home their uniforms, their blankets, whatever, and and um, and it seeped into it, the thought is into their bodies and into their semen. A lot of the wives said they had this. This burning semen and a number of children. It's been said a higher number of birth defects among Gulf War vets. And but the the way the the way this war. I mean, I don't. You don't know where to begin, faulting it. But the way this war ushered in Al Qaeda is astonishing and and so underappreciated. Uh, so much for. the... The gentle bush, the kindler, the kinder gentler bush. You know, the Iraq War. That in in those forty three days, there was more firepower unleashed than in the history of wars altogether. It became the show the show off ground for the new American Empire. the The Soviet Union was breathing its last breaths, and and um, and this was the new world order, as as Bush called it, and that meant that we we were in charge. We were unfettered by the communist world, unchallenged, and uh, and so th- we were showing what we could do at, as the big the big cheese on the globe, right. and so we showed off every new new piece of of equipment and uh, every new kind of bomb and depleted uranium and on and on and on.
1: Um, One thing that's interesting about the cold war ending, I remember in middle school uh, there, uh, my sixth grade teacher, he was pretty ahead of the curve, but he, he said, well, now that uh, that's over and the enemy is no longer the Russians, it's going to be the Arabs. And uh, he wasn't saying this in a way where he's like, hooray, but he, he was like, well, like, And our minds, we're trying to wrap our minds around just like world politics as sixth graders. But he's like, that's where the next, that's the next frontier, which was basically like the neocon platform for what to do with the new world order. Right, We need new enemies. Right. You know?
4: And just as they were planning this, as the Soviet Union was unraveling with our help, I'm sure, um, they planned the 203 invasion and occupation based on, you know, years of thinking, what was it called? The new uh, plan for the new American century or something. Uh, So it was, it was all in the works before, and they needed, they needed the excuse and they, which in both cases was pretty bogus.
0: Well, also in terms of what you guys were saying about the Cold War, I remember hearing Tariq Ali saying that like the end of the Cold War, the end of the Soviet Union was so bad because it gave the anti-Americanism, the only real like avenue for that was fundamentalism, like Islamic fundamentalism, which is a much less rational partner to negotiate with than the Soviet Union was. Right. Um, which people may think is unwoke, but it's totally true and it's fundamentally yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, what
4: if what if we hadn't been it, what if we didn't see it just as the evil empire but we saw it as a country, everything went went crazy in in the world. The whole balance of power just as it has with Iraq falling. These people were holding a lot down. Right. <laughs> Saddam was was really doing a lot to to.
1: He was doing the the Lord's work uh, with a, a secular government yeah. in uh, the Middle East, right? right. You know, re- regardless of whether you liked his uh, his Bathist policies, he wasn't a theocrat, and uh, women could drive. They, most of the and doctors were women.
4: Most of the doctors were women. They had free education, free higher education, free welfare. I mean, it was an enlightened state, much like Syria was. In that, I mean, it was in li- in terms of education and public services. Well, and another they thing- were not Neither was, you know, a, was benign. Right. But
0: they weren't fundamentalists. They weren't fundamentalists, and they, and they like were they
4: were the most secular and evolved right. Arab countries. And
0: um, also, uh, another thing that Trump said in that same interview where he was talking about de- uh, Bush being a liar, another thing he said was, um, look, Saddam Hussein's a really bad guy, but... Uh, there was no terrorism then. Now, uh, you going to Iraq? All the terrorists are going to Iraq. It's like the Harvard of terrorism, <laughs> which is true, right? Um, okay. Yeah, so. and so he. I mean, we don't. No one likes to say this, but he did provide a lot of stability. Speaking of core exercises and crunches, he did uh, stabilize the the region a lot. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Well. Um, we, this was great, Mom. This was great, Nora Eisenberg. Thank you so much for this. Great being with you guys. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. I love the uh, refresher course on the Iraq War. I think this is more informative than what Ken Burns' documentary is going to be about the subject.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny. You, you and my mom know a lot about the same. You, you were really interested in the subject,
1: can't get enough yeah 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 i love true crime true and crime alike, yeah like uh war yeah so put those two things together and you get war crime right true war crime yeah that we should do a series on that that's that's that, my yeah. lane
0: um all right cool so gabe uh what's going on with you anything that you want to t- tell people about listeners about
1: uh, you can always find me on my other podcast, Eat, Pray, Judge. So download that and su- subscribe to it as well. It's a film podcast, and it's uh, not quite as heavy as this. And uh, you can find me every Wednesday at Funhouse Comedy. The show is at 10 p.m. It's always free, and it's live stand-up.
0: Awesome. Um, thanks so much for listening to Katie Helper Show. And you can uh, find me on Twitter at Katie Helps, That's letter K, letter T, H A L P S. And uh, you can find the Katie Helper Show on Facebook. You can use the hashtag KT help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. And uh, yeah, great. All right, peace. Peace in the Middle East. Thanks so much again for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like this show, if you like hearing voices like Nora Eisenberg's, who happens to be my mom... If you like hearing stories and history that you may not have learned about that the rest of the media doesn't bring you, if you like hearing people like, you know, Glenn Greenwald and Naomi Klein and Matt Christman, Leslie Lee, David Parsons, Nina Turner, Greg Grandin, we're gonna have Ricky Rawls on soon. Great voices. The Katie Halper Show is edited by Ted Reedy and our theme show music is by Cordoba.